Thank you very much, Matt. Uh, and if you are new and you didn't know, uh, Matt Nix is one of the pastors here, and uh, he's also one of the 18 Matts that we have <laughs> at our church. Like every other dude is named Matt. It's the weirdest thing. So uh, as Matt, the other Matt said, uh, we started last week a new series, um, a new church life series called Forged by Grace. And uh, here's why. Here's our focus. We want to have a clearer vision for what the church would look like if we as a people were thoroughly shaped by grace. If we as a church were thoroughly shaped by who Jesus is and what he has done. The truth is that God has, co- he has created us to be a community of grace, to be a testimony of God's grace in our city. He has called us to be citizens of a new city within our city. Now recently, uh, the pastors and a few leaders spent some time reflecting uh, on our strengths and weaknesses as a church. And we have three basic areas of focus as a church. I think all churches would have these or should. Loving God, loving each other, uh, and loving our neighbors. And when I say loving God, loving each other, and loving our neighbors, I mean loving God, loving each other, loving our neighbors in word and deed. As we reflected and evaluated, there was one thing that was clear. That we are stronger at loving God and loving each other, and we are weakest by far when it comes to loving our neighbors in word and deed. We talk about it a lot, but as a church, we are weakest when it comes to loving our neighbors in word and deed. That must change. It has to change. It's one of the main reasons God put us here in this location, to be a community of grace that is to be a testimony of God's grace in our city. And you know what? Grace cannot be separated from truth. Grace and truth both are critical. Because here's the deal. Gracious deeds detached from the gracious truth of God's word, it it lacks the the power to truly love and bless our city and see transformation happen. We are called to take the whole gospel to the whole person, to the whole world. I mean, this is how God blessed us. He didn't just give us a get-out-of-hell-free card. He says, I'm going to save you and renew you, everything about you. And last week we talked about how that when God brings salvation to us, he's not just saving individuals for you to have a relationship just between you and God. He has called you to a new people, to be a new people, and then to use us to bring his truth and his grace around the world because he's in the process of renewing the world and everything in it. Everything. It is holistic. And God, I believe, has called us to 
I guess what you could call holistic evangelism. The word and deed. And you know what? God intends to use us. There's a problem. Um, that involves evangelism. You know why that's a problem? Because most people, when they hear that word, they kind of cringe. Right? I got some feedback from you last week. I'll get some feedback from uh, you this week. For a lot of people, including maybe many people in, in the church, evangelism feels like a bad word. So let me get some feedback. I mean, we, we got to talk about this again. The, the, the average person on the street, okay, when they hear the word uh, evangelism or evangelist, fair or not, what are the common negative characteristics or, or caricatures uh, that come to people's mind when they hear evangelism or evangelist? What, comes to, what do you think comes to their, their mind? Okay, one at a time, oh, real, real quick. Uh, first, Evan. Crazy televangelist. Somebody else's. Judgmental. What else? Yeah, hypocrites. Pushy. Like, totally pushy. Like they should be selling timeshares or something. <laughs> Have you ever sat through a timeshare presentation? It is the worst. It's like, you can keep the five-day hotel stay. Just let me leave, right? <laughs> what else? Some, there was somebody else said something over here. Swindlers. Yeah, absolutely. That's a pretty, you know, fair or not, it's a common uh, per perspective, um, you know, it's common for people to think of in-your-face evangelists or, or, or TV evangelists that are slick, uh, thieves after your money, judgmental, self-promoting, arrogant, right? And so a lot of people are frustrated that Christians do evangelism, that they urge people to leave their, their own religion and their, their own personal belief system and convert to Christianity. And so you hear people say, okay, there might be a couple of nice things about Christianity and the church, but this whole evangelism deal is messed up. I mean, it's the epitome of arrogance for people to say, unless you convert and believe the way I do, you're lost. Now, I totally get why people would feel that way. Because some churches have done some wacky and hurtful things in the name of evangelism. And so much of it has been done with a, a self-importance and has been more motivated by pride and insecurity than love and a desire to bless people. Now, most Christians don't do evangelism. And many who do, do it in a way that makes them feel like you just poked them in the eye. Yeah, well, the truth hurts. I poked you in the eye because I love you. <laughs> we have a funny way of showing it. So most people in the church have decided that, that the solution is not to do evangelism. They've decided to not even try to convert people. But there is a problem with that too. And the reason is you can't not do evangelism. You can't. It's impossible. Here's what I mean. The word evangelism simply means this. The, the telling of good news. 
right? Telling people that there is a better way to think, a better way to view life, a better way to live, and you just simply can't avoid doing that. So maybe someone tells you that all views are legitimate. And so they proclaim that no one should impose their view on someone else. And you know what we call what they're doing when they say that? Evangelism. They're sincerely trying to convert people to their belief and to call people to live by it, right? And so here's the truth about tolerance, okay? A lot of people have some wacky views about tolerance. Tolerance is not a lack of convictions or beliefs. Tolerance is about how your convictions and your beliefs lead you to treat people who disagree with you. And everyone has convictions and beliefs. Everyone does. So we can't not do evangelism, but what we must do is we must do it in a way that treats people with dignity and respect and love, esteeming others better than ourselves. We are all messengers of what we believe to be good news. We're all evangelists of one kind or another, even if you're someone who believes no one should impose their views on, on someone else. Now, the text we just read, I think, is one of several, many good case studies in, in, in evangelism. And, and given where we are now as a church, I think it's good to uh, zero in on this text. It's a case study of good news telling, and, and we can see what, what's involved for Christians if we are going to be gracious messengers of our convictions and, and beliefs. And the first one, if you're taking notes, is this. We must start with ourselves. If you have not preached the gospel to yourself first, don't preach it to anybody else. All right? If you have not come to a place where you see that you're desperate for God and his grace and his forgiveness, just, just stay there first for a while, okay? Look at the first verse in our passage. Verse 27 says this. Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And Jesus said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, Levi got up and followed Jesus. Why in the world did Levi respond like that? He responded like that because he got it. He got the good news. And what is the Christian good news? Well, the Christian good news is this, that although we're totally unworthy through the work of King Jesus in his spirit, the power of God in his kingdom has entered history to reconcile us to our loving Father and to renew our broken lives, communities, and world. That is good news. And you know what? Levi knew that he was totally unworthy of the Father's love. And the rabbis reminded them of that regularly. They were clear, uh, and, and they, 
they said that tax collectors were unworthy politically, ceremonially, and morally. Politically, because they were working for the hated Roman Empire, right? Ceremonially, because they were constantly hanging out with the the Gentiles. Morally, because they were overcharging their own people and then pocketing the rest. So Levi was condemned by the religious leaders and hated by his own people. He was an outcast. Here's what I want you to do. I'm going to ask you again later in the the message. In our world, in our day and age, who are the outcasts? Just think to yourself. Who are the outcasts? Yeah, it's true. Yeah, we're getting there. But think about maybe even whole groups of people that religious people keep at a distance. Okay, we'll revisit that. Levi, through Jesus, experienced the love of God. Now, if there was anyone who deserved a poke in the eye, it was this guy, right? Ripping people off, his own people, who are already oppressed by the Roman Empire? But he experienced God's love through Jesus. And from what we know about how Jesus worked, this was probably not the first time that Levi met Jesus. Levi was exactly the kind of person that would have been one of the tax collectors or sinners like us that Jesus was always hanging out with. So here's Levi sitting at the tax collector's booth, ripping people off in the midst of his sin, and Jesus goes to him, and Jesus said, the the light shone, and it was like, wow, we have some crazy, our lights are possessed, so we should probably pause and do an exorcism or something. I just thought uh, Jason was just accentuating my points with the light, so <laughs> it's another new twist. Next we'll have smoke machines, so we'll... All right, so try to ignore the distracting lights if you can. Um, so he, uh, Levi is still in the midst of his sin when Jesus walks up to him, and, and, and uh, Jesus says to Levi, follow me. Now, do you know what this means? When Jesus goes to Levi in the midst of what he's doing and says, follow me. It means that there is room, there is room in Jesus' kingdom for unworthy people like Levi and me. Like all of us. And so what does Levi do? He responds by giving up his whole way of life, his whole way of living. He got up, he left everything, and he followed Jesus. Why? Because he believed that Jesus did have a better way to live, the only way to truly live. He got it. So how does this affect our lives? Well, if you believe What Levi believed, do you see that you can't help but tell people about it? 
I mean, if a group of scientists find a cure for Ebola or AIDS or cancer, I mean, we would want them to tell as many people as possible. I mean, that we would want them to share the good news that brings healing. It would be unloving, it would be illogical, it would be wrong to keep silent about something that's so critical, so important, and so healing. Here's the thing. The people in the church who abuse evangelism and the people in the church who avoid evangelism both have one thing in common. They don't get it. We haven't started with ourselves. I mean, do we believe we have the most important, critical, healing message in the world or not? If we do, we'll be messengers. We just will, in a loving way, because we love them. So first we start with ourselves, and then secondly, then we go to those we know. So a major problem with Christian evangelism is when Christians treat non-Christians as objects or problems or as the enemy. Instead of getting involved with people's lives, it's drive-by evangelism. Pastor Matt Nix calls it lobbing truth grenades. You keep your distance and then you check evangelism off your to-do list. But look what Levi does. Verse 29. And Levi made him a great feast, a banquet in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. He throws a party. That's party evangelism right there. Levi's, you get under that, Levi's method is sincere friendship. True friendship. Jesus reached out to Levi in friendship. And so Levi does the same thing. The first thing he does is he throws a party. Not a meeting, not a debate, not a barrage of half-cocked drive-by Facebook posts that insult atheists. What's he do? He throws a party for his friends to meet Jesus. Let me tell you something. When they met Jesus, there was always a proclamation of the truth. That kind of conversation happens among friends. And the good news filled Levi's heart with so much joy, he said, you know what, we need to celebrate this. This really good, life-changing, transforming good news. That is evangelism. And guess what? You know what? He didn't even have any training. Like, none. No training whatsoever in doing evangelism. All he did was say, I don't know if I'm doing this the right way or wrong way, but Jesus changed my life, and I want my friends to know Jesus too. I want my friends to know the truth about Jesus too. This, when you look at the New Testament, is God's primary method for evangelism. 
Are there other approaches? Of course. But when you read the New Testament, we see an approach that gets neglected so much. When Andrew met Jesus, he went and got his brother Simon. When, when Philip met Jesus, he went and got his, his, his friend um, Nathaniel. When the Samaritan woman met Jesus, she went out and got her neighbors. I mean, you can go through the whole New Testament and see this over and over and over and over and over and over again. So if you love a friend, you want them to have what they need, right? I mean, what kind of friends are we if, if we don't share our hearts and, and our lives? What kind of friends are we if, if we know that someone is, is hurting themselves or about to hurt themselves and then we never say anything about it? Friends are people who love others enough to tell them the truth lovingly, gently, respectfully, patiently, and you invite them into your life. And you serve them. You're hospitable. Come to the party and share in my joy. Let me tell you what's going on. Start with ourselves. And go to those we know. And the question is, so how do we avoid abusing evangelism? That brings us to the third thing. We repent of religious arrogance. One of the biggest problems with Christian evangelism is the you're an idiot and I'm better than you, you should be like me approach. Unfortunately, it's pretty common and it's been a problem since the beginning. Look at verse 30. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled to his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with these idiots? Why do you eat and drink with these tax collectors and, 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 and sinners? You are condoning their sin. How are they going to know that what they're doing is wrong? You are pandering to, this peop to these people so that they would like you, so you can get a following. And it sounds persuasive, but listen. What's the deal with the Pharisees? I mean, what's the real problem? The real problem is that they don't get it. They don't get the good news of God's grace. I know because if God didn't open my eyes to his grace, I'd be the biggest, baddest, ugliest Pharisee you've ever seen. And I still have those tendencies in my heart. And you know what? Pharisees do their own evangelism. Their good news is, if you just live like us, then God will bless you. That is not good news. It is not. They just think it is. It is deceptive and incomplete. And Pharisees work hard at looking better than they really are. They just, they, 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 they sit in judgment of anyone who does not live up to, to their standards, and their standards are always being customized so they can always say that they're doing all right. I mean, does that sound familiar at all? I remember when God started to really, really start opening my eyes to God, uh, to the grace of Jesus. I mean, and what he showed me in his love gave me some difficult truth. Um, and, he, and he did it so patiently and, and gently. He showed me that I was, in fact, unworthy of his love. That I was unworthy of his love. But... 
Because of God's grace and his grace alone, I am not worth less. And there is a big difference. For whatever reason, God in his sovereignty, for his purposes, he chose to love and value me in so much that he purchased me with the blood of his son, even with all of the horrible things that I've done in my life. He didn't say, you better get your act together and then maybe we'll talk. And you know what this means? Because of the blood of his son, because he they paid the price for me, he, he now looks at me in Christ and he says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved daughter. This is my beloved son. My beloved daughter, my beloved son, my beloved daughter, my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. That floors me. Because I know that he is well pleased, not because of anything I have done or ever will do, but because what Christ has done for me. It is a gift of his grace. Listen, we all have Pharisee tendencies. We do. Even prodigal sons who come back end up having older brother Pharisee tendencies. The reason I know is because it takes one to know one. But as we remember the good news of God's grace, we can be more honest about our sin because Jesus knows all of that stuff already anyway. And he still loves us. So instead of lobbing truth grenades and, and, and judging people from a distance, uh, you know, people who are, are struggling and hurting themselves, who... who uh, Maybe it's horrible things are going on in their life. Instead of judging them, we can and we will identify with them. If you can identify with them, it will affect the way that you approach them. It may be cliche, but it's true. In my experience, the heart of evangelism is realizing that we're all beggars telling other beggars where to find bread. Right? It's realizing with the Apostle Paul that I am the chief of sinners and that I must also be the chief repenter, that all of us come to that conclusion ourselves, that, that, that every single one of us were just as desperate for God's grace as anyone else. And if you get that, two things happen. One, you won't keep the good news to yourself, and two, you won't be a jerk when you share it. Listen to me. Our neighbors need true, real, down-to-earth Christianity that is saturated in God's grace. They need us to not only declare a message of truth and grace, but for us to also live out the message of truth and grace. It's not enough just to talk about it. I mean, it's critical. Our, need, our neighbors need to know, they need to see, it needs to be obvious to our neighbors that we realize our, that we ourselves are unworthy too. 
But we have a God whose love is so powerful that he saved us when we were still in our sin. If we get that, we will be humble, not arrogant. And then finally, we need to cultivate the heart of Jesus. Verse 30, Jesus, Jesus listens to the Pharisees uh, complain when they said, you know, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, is it, not the hel- it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, a favorite line of self-righteous religious people that they like to use to condemn people is, you can tell what a person is like by the company he keeps. That was the attitude of the Pharisees. That is why they were so critical of Jesus. I've told you this before. We'll see if you remember. There is some truth to that. You can tell a person's like by the company he keeps. Birds of a feather do flock together, but that's not the whole truth. Remember why? We're not birds. (laughs) So we have to ask this. What is our reason for who we hang out with? It could be because you love them, right? And because you love them, you hope to have a humble influence on them for their benefit. And just maybe you will learn something from them in the process. And what I mean by that is, maybe once you start listening to people, where their heart is, what they're going through, kind of discern the idolatry, what it is that they're looking to to, to be okay, that's ripping them off and hurting themselves and hurting the other people, you will learn how to bless them and how to apply the gospel in a way a friend would. We have to be teachable in those moments. Teachable through God's truth and, and, and the Holy Spirit working through us in those moments. We still have a lot to learn. That brings a whole new meaning to the phrase, you can tell what a person is like by the company he keeps, right? This is why we do things like our home groups and our our crowded houses. This is why we do things like, like make a big deal about Easter Sunday and have a banquet, a celebration afterwards. It's why we invite our neighbors, friends, family, co-workers who aren't connected to a community of grace. It's why we have a weekly service here with an effort. We at least try to make anyone who walks through those doors feel welcome. If you know people who would be blessed by being a part of a community of grace because it's how we experience the truth, grace, love of Christ. Bring them. Bring them. And hopefully, you're already cultivating a loving friendship with that person already. This is why we must improve as a church in loving our neighbors to grow in that, to love our neighbors in word and deed. You know, Jesus compared himself to a doctor here. A doctor spends time with the sick because he's dedicated to healing. In the same way, Jesus hung out with sinners like us because he loves us and wants us to be transformed by grace and experience the freedom of deliverance. 
You don't go to a doctor if you're well. You only go to a doctor when you're sick. And in the same way, you don't go to Jesus if you think that you are righteous. We go to him when we know that we're not. Jesus did not come for the self-righteous. He came for those who humble themselves and acknowledge that they're, they're, they acknowledge their, their desperate need because of the sin in their heart and life. And, and when we do, that is evidence that we're part of the elect family of God. Jesus came to earth to eat and drink with sinners like us because he loves you so much that he was committed to healing you. So he went to the cross and he took all of our sin upon himself, even all the things nobody knows anything about except for you. And he endured, <laughs> he endured the wrath of God, the, 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 the penalty that needed to be paid for, for that sin. He did that for us. And when we know and experience the love of Christ, it compels us to share it with others. You know what? Christianity is different than other religions in, in the world. Uh, other religions say, you know what? Do your best to seek me and reach me. And after a while, if you do a good job, maybe you'll make it. But in Christianity, God is the one who is seeking and reaching. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit seeking and reaching out to people in desperate need. And he chose us to do that. To, he chose to seek people through us as a church. And it's urgent. I mean, there are eternal spiritual realities at play here. When my daughter, Shay, uh, was two years old, uh, we lived next to a, a, a large canyon and Part of our yard was uh, fenced in, but most of it wasn't. And one Sunday afternoon, she went missing. And 20 minutes later, she was still missing. When your child is missing for 20 minutes, it feels like an eternity, right? Any, anybody here have kids that went missing temporarily? <laughs> oh, my God. The, the, the pale looks in your faces as, you're, as you raise your, your hand. I get that. We, we had neighbors and people from uh, the church next door out, you know, just looking everywhere for her. They, everybody dropped what they were doing, and they were looking for my daughter. And Man, I was sick. And I was totally head-tripping. I mean, we lived very, you could see Mexico from my house. We live right by the border. And the worst things go through your head when your kid goes missing. So everyone was spread out searching. I was at the bottom of the canyon, far from the house. And Shannon calls me and said, we found her. Shay ended up being still in the fenced part of the yard under a patio table that had a tablecloth that went all the way down to the ground so we couldn't see her. And she was just hanging out. <laughs> She's all sweaty and 
I was so relieved. I started running up the canyon to get back to her, and I ran until I got a cramp (laughs) and couldn't breathe or run or walk. So I stopped for a minute, caught my breath, and then kind of started running again until I finally got back to the house and I picked her up and I hugged her and hugged her and hugged her. Look, we did not urgently go seeking after her because, well, I guess this is something I'm supposed to do. No, we loved her and we wanted the best for her and we wanted her protected. I mean, this is why we must share the good news of God's grace with our neighbors in word and deed because we love them and we want the best for them and we want them to be protected. Do you see that? God calls all of us to do this as a community. So let me close with this. Where does Jesus find you this morning? Talk about where you found Levi, where does Jesus find you this morning? Do you know him as your Lord? Do you know him as your Savior? Do you know him as your friend? He is reaching out to you. He has brought you here to meet him and to give you life. I mean, he's saying to you right here, right now, through his word, he's saying, follow me. Leave everything else that you are trusting to be okay because it will only let you down. It will always let you down and rip you off. Jesus has a better way to live. He has the only way to find true life. And here's what I learned. You can have everything. But if you don't have Jesus, you have nothing. Or you can have nothing. But if you have Jesus, you have everything. And Jesus says, follow me. So will you respond to the call? Will you respond to his call when he says, follow me? My encouragement to you is to follow him right now, to follow him this morning, today. Give him your life today. Talk to us about it. Ask questions. For those of you who are Christians, let me ask you. All right, let's do some soul searching here. I'm asking this of me too. Who are you most like? Jesus or the Pharisees? Could you be criticized? Like Jesus, for being a friend of tax collectors, a friend to outcasts. Let me ask it this way. Instead of could you be criticized, are you ever criticized for the efforts you make to be a friend to outcasts? Or are all of our friends Christians? If all of our friends are Christians, we're, we're more like the Pharisees than Jesus. And together, we need to humbly repent. So, 
Who comes to mind? Think to yourself. Who comes to mind when you think of those that religious people keep at a distance? The truth is, to be followers of Jesus is to be friends to be friends to the outcasts. To realize that we were outcasts and Jesus sought us and made us his friend at great cost to himself. And then he became an outcast. And he cried out when he was on the cross, killed, murdered like an outcast. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he experienced the, the heavenly father turning his back on him. He became the outcast so that you wouldn't be. And so that we in turn would love the outcasts and share the love of God in word and deed with, with others. Guess what? You have more opportunities than you think you do. So what we need to do collectively, part of a repentance and action looks like is that we pray that God would give us eyes to see people who need the love of God in word and deed. You have more opportunities than you realize. We just got to pray for eyes to see. And again, Easter, we have a party, a celebration, a banquet. It is an opportunity on a silver platter for you to show your neighbors that they aren't outcasts here. We want to be hospitable to them. So bring them to the banquet. To the extent that we know the love of Jesus, we will share the love of Jesus to people in need, inviting them, like Levi, to come to the party, to enter into the joy of Christ. And we do this together. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your grace. Thank you so much for your truth. God, help us to share your grace and truth to others through both word and deed. We thank you that you came to us to eat and drink with sinners like us because you love us and want to heal us. God, please forgive us for the times that we are more like Pharisees than like you for the times when we have not been real friends to people we know, when we've either abused good news telling because of our pride and religious arrogance or we've just avoided good news telling altogether because of our fear of criticism, because of our just lack of love for people. God, I pray that you would fill us with the awe and wonder of your grace and truth so that we will joyfully and lovingly and patiently and respectfully share the good news of Jesus with our friends. And I pray that you would give us more friends who don't know you so that we can share your love with them and bless them with a hope found in your word, your truth. God, if there's anybody here this morning that has not trusted you, God, I pray that this morning would be the morning that you would bless them with the faith 
to leave everything else that they're trusting and to follow you. Give them the courage to follow you starting today. For the rest of us, God, I pray that, that by your grace and your kindness that you would lead us to, to repentance, knowing that, that, that our status with you does not hinge on how well we do evangelism. That you love us no matter what and help that good news to transform us so that we do. Help every, all of us to focus, not be distracted by anything else and take advantage of this time to reflect on your good news, to spend time confessing our sin, knowing that you are faithful and just, to forgive us our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. We pray these things in your name. With your head still bowed and as the music plays...